And that's wonderful. And it was cloaked in prophecy. There were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that spoke of the first coming of the Messiah. But really, for us today, for us as Christians today, we ought to be looking forward to what the Bible promises is the second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. The first coming has already happened. And perhaps you didn't know this, but for every one verse that speaks about the Lord's first coming, there are eight references to his second coming. Over 1,800 references throughout the Bible to the second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. There's an entire book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, that deals with that one topic and subject specifically. Now, just as my dad's words to me were somewhat clouded, somewhat confusing, somewhat difficult for me to fully appreciate and understand, until I opened up the package and I saw what it was, so too with the Lord's comings. I mean, there were, there were, as I said, many, many prophecies regarding his first coming that uh, were actually, in retrospect, very clear. He would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. He would be a child who would subsequently rule the nations. He would be born of the seed of Abraham and of the lineage of David. He would be born in Bethlehem, it says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. There are all kinds of verses related to prophecies speaking of the Lord's first coming. And again, I want to emphasize to you here this morning that there are a lot more that speak about His second coming. Now, I'm going off script here but I'm just going to go with the Spirit here. The Bible in the New Testament has a word. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. And that word is Maranatha. And it's an Aramaic word. Actually, it's a transliteration of an Aramaic word that means, Lord, come. And in the early church, the Christians would greet one another with this word, Maranatha, Lord, come. We look forward to your return, O Lord. And so, we too, I believe, as Christians living today in December 2016, ought to be greeting one another with that same kind of expectation. That same word, Maranatha, Lord, come. You know, the second to the last verse in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, do you know what it says? Any biblical scholars out there want to guess based upon what I've told you thus far? Come, Lord Jesus. Exactly. 
that anticipation, that excitement. God wants us to know He has a plan. He's not making this up as He goes. He has intended from the very outset for His Son to come to this earth to be born as a babe in a manger, to live a sinless life, to die upon a cross for our sin, and to resurrect from the dead for our justification, to eliminate from our lives any aspect of or control by sin in our lives. You see, they were very confused, the rabbis were, about the Messiah. They thought, in looking at the Scriptures, that there was a confusing portrayal of who the Messiah was going to be. Because some of the the Scriptures related to the Messiah's coming spoke of a suffering servant. Isaiah chapter 53 spoke of him being beaten, his beard being plucked out, his back being whipped and striped with wounds. Spoke of him being slain or cut off in Daniel chapter 9. And the the rabbis would look at that and say, okay, how do we balance that out with these other scriptures that speak of a reigning Messiah, a Messiah who has come to conquer, to establish an eternal kingdom upon this planet. And actually, there began to be an understanding of the Messiah that said there were going to be two Messiahs. There would be one Messiah, Messiah ben ben Joseph, yes. The suffering Messiah. The Messiah who would come and suffer. But then there would be a second Messiah who would come and who would be triumphant. Messiah ben David. Messiah the son of David. But the resurrection from the dead put all of those scriptures into context. It would be the same Messiah, but there would be two comings. Jesus came to Bethlehem. He went to Jerusalem, and he ascended into heaven. But the angels standing there on the Mount of Olives as Jesus was ascending into heaven said, Men of Galilee, why do you gaze up into heaven? So, this same Jesus will return in like fashion to this planet. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe, honestly, that the Lord could return at any time? Pat, or Landon, would you put up Matthew chapter 24, verse 30? This is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking with regards to his second coming. He is describing what his second coming is going to look like. Matthew 24, 30.
I will read it to you. There we go. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So Jesus here is describing to his disciples what his second coming is going to look like. It's going to be an event that everyone, everyone on the planet will be aware of. All the nations of the earth, all eyes will see him as he comes on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now, if you put up Matthew 24, verse 44. Jesus speaks to his disciples about this amazing event, his second coming. His first coming, as a babe in a manger, no one took notice of. Later, Herod, when he spoke to the wise men, was aware that a king had been born, tried to eradicate the newborn king by killing the infants. But this time, the coming of our Lord is going to be for every eye to see, as Jesus described. And here, Jesus says, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. So that's the question I have for us this morning. We're celebrating Christmas looking back to the first Advent, but the words of our Lord are very clear, very plain, very directive. I am coming back at an hour when you do not expect Now, honestly speaking, I have to tell you, I wake up most days not anticipating the return of the Lord. So those are the days that the Lord's return perhaps might be most probable because it's an hour when I do not expect Him. So, the Lord is going to return to this planet. He is going to establish himself as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you guys put up Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 21? I want to read the first, or verse 7 out of Revelation chapter 1 to you. This is John's description, really, of what Jesus had described to his disciples there in Matthew 24. John says, look, or behold, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Well, later in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, we get a very specific description. Go ahead and put up chapter 19. Uh, thank you. This is the description of the actual Second coming of the Lord, as seen by John the Revelator. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, mighty men, and of horses, their riders, and of the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So this is the description, biblical description, of the event known as the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's when Jesus ascends in the clouds of glory to the earth to do battle with the Antichrist. And he overcomes him and the false prophet. And they are thrown into the lake of fire. But do you notice who is he coming with when he is coming back to this planet? It says, hallelujah. The Lord our God reigns. And coming out of his, excuse me. Where I lost myself here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Barry. Yep, that's exactly what I was looking for. Verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. This is you and me. We are the armies dressed in white linen, following him. He has called us into his presence, and we are following him to do battle with the Antichrist. So, you always read the Bible and think, oh, wouldn't it have been wonderful to be a character in the Bible? Well, here you are. Revelation chapter 19, verse 14. His saints, his holy ones, the ones who have been caught up into his presence will come back with him to do battle against the Antichrist and for him to establish his throne upon the earth in Revelation chapter 20, we won't read it, but if you do read through Revelation chapter 20, what you will see is that Jesus establishes a throne upon the earth for a thousand years, and we will reign with him, it says in Revelation chapter 2. So Jesus will have a, a throne upon the earth for a thousand years. Subsequent to that, Satan will be bound, unable to deceive the nations, but after the thousand years, he will be released and he will deceive many and there will be another battle after which he will once again be defeated and be consigned to the lake of fire forever and ever. And then ultimately in Revelation 21 and 22, a new heaven and a new earth will be created. And that, Would you pull up uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13? Because this is really what we are looking for as Christians. Our hope is this. People often say when they, when they hear this stuff, oh, I don't like to hear all that end of the world stuff. This is not end of the world stuff. This is beginning of the world stuff. 
The beginning of a redeemed creation wherein righteousness dwells. Look what Peter says. But in keeping with his promise, whose promises? Jesus' promise. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. That is our hope, church. That is what we are looking forward to. If this is as good as it gets, we got ripped off. This is not our hope. This is not our hope. Yes, there is going to be radical devastation upon this earth when Jesus returns. The Bible is very clear about that because the world has rejected him. But those who are aligned with him have a different view. Would you pull up 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? We who are in Christ have a different view of all of this, or we should have a different view because we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord, just as Jesus said it would, will come as a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come on them just as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Pay attention here. But you, brothers... Now, he's writing to the Thessalonians, but he's also writing through the Holy Spirit to you and to me. To you, brothers, you are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. So we are, through the Holy Spirit within us, able to discern the signs of the times. Jesus chastised the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He said, you look up to the sky and, and, and you can discern what the weather patterns are going to be, but you cannot discern the signs of the times in which you live. Are we like them? Are we unable to discern the signs of the times in which we live? In 1948, the nation of Israel was once again reestablished, as the Bible said in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11, that it would be for a second time. When Isaiah wrote that, Israel had not even gone into captivity the first time yet, and yet he said they would be regathered into the land a second time. We have seen that within the last 70 years. So many biblical prophecies related to the Lord's second coming have to do with the nation of Israel. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says that after the fullness of the Gentiles, that's you and me, have come into the faith, then the Lord will return and all Israel will be saved. They will look upon him whom they have pierced, it says in Zechariah 12.10. So yes, it's going to be a bloody time, but we don't have to be a part of that. We can, as his children, understand the signs of the times. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to occur, look up into heaven, for your redemption draws near. Don't struggle with it. Don't mourn. Rejoice! Eternity with Jesus, a redeemed creation wherein righteousness dwells, 
is coming. That's what Jesus has promised us. That is good news. Yes, there will be untold millions who will reject the message. Jesus said very clearly that the gate is narrow that leads to life. And few there be that find it. But wide is the path that leads to destruction. And many will find that path. What about you? Which path are you on here this morning? Do you recoil at the thought of the return of Jesus Christ to this planet? Are you holding on to the things of this life so tightly that the notion that the Lord would return and turn everything on its head abhors you? I hope not. I hope not because this is where it is all leading. It says in Romans chapter 8 that the creation groans awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. Imagine that. All of creation groaning awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. Those of us who will be caught up with him and who will return in robes of white to do battle at his side. Creation is groaning, awaiting that because creation knows that it will be restored, renewed upon the Lord's return. These are not fairy tales. I have this little nativity scene under my tree that I got after my parents passed away. And it's just a simple little play figures of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And it mean, meant a lot to me because I, I remember as a kid just lying in front of the tree, looking at that, wondering about it. And so when, when I got it after my parents passed away, it, it was really a, a treasure for me. But, but as I've grown now, I recognize and realize that Jesus didn't stay in the manger, did he? Most of the Gospels are written about the three and a half years of ministry that he accomplished leading him to Calvary. As I said last week during communion, he was born to die. So yes, we celebrate this Christmas, the first coming of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful that God became man, Emmanuel. But God never intended the story to end at the nativity. God never intended the story to conclude after the ascension into heaven. He is coming back to this planet. And there are so many signs, even today, that lead us to begin to look up to the sky and recognize that our redemption is drawing near. Do you realize... As I mentioned, Israel's reestablishment as a nation sets in motion many prophecies with regards to his second coming and the establishment of his kingdom because he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. But there are other prophecies that when they were written could not even possibly have been fulfilled until the day in which we live. Now, I am not one of those who is saying, The Lord is going to return next Tuesday. 
And I know it from this and, and this verse. But I do know, just as the scripture I, I, I read to you says, that I can sense the sign of the times. John wrote in Revelation chapter 11 that there would be a time when the two witnesses are killed by the Antichrist and the false prophet and they lie in the street of Jerusalem for three days and the entire world at the same time was able to observe their dead bodies lying dead in the streets of Jerusalem. Now when John wrote that in 96 AD, that was not a possibility. Guess what? It is today. In Revelation chapter 13, John says that the Antichrist will set up an economic system that will require everyone on the entire planet to take a mark in their hand or in their forehead in order to be able to buy and to sell. Now that could not have been fulfilled in the days that John wrote it. But guess what? The technology exists today for the implantation of a chip under our skin that will calculate and record every transaction that every human being on this planet takes. The technology exists. It must have seemed astounding to John's readers when they read that in the first and second centuries. And yet here we are today. There are numerous other scriptures that I could go over. But my point is that our eyes, our hearts, should be focused upon the Lord. What is the impact of me speaking to you about the second coming? As you leave this building today, what is the impact of your contemplating the second coming upon your life? Well, there's three different things, and we'll conclude with this, that I want to share with you. Patrick, would you put up uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3? The first thing that the, the teaching about the second coming of Jesus should have upon us is that we walk in a purified way. Look what John says. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So there's the second coming right there. There is us looking forward to Him returning, and it, we will be like Him. And it says, everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the thought of the second coming of the Lord has the, the purifying effect upon our lives. It causes us to walk in holiness because we recognize that when he comes, we don't want to be caught unaware. We want to be walking towards him. The second impact that it should have upon us is that we should work faithfully. Put up James chapter 5, verse 7. We should work faithfully. Sometimes it seems like you've been hearing that the Lord is going to return your whole life. 
And if you've been in certain Christian circles, that's probably true. Lord, I keep pressing on. I keep pressing on. When is it going to end? Look at, listen to this verse. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now, James wrote this almost 2,000 years ago and he perceived that the Lord's coming was near. He was in a Maranatha mindset. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. The Lord's return could happen at any moment. That was how James looked at it, and that is how we ought to look at it. So we should be working faithfully, even though sometimes it seems like a long haul. Sometimes it's a hard road to follow, but we work faithfully, patiently, knowing that the Lord is standing at the door, and he has his rewards for you and for me for our faithful service in his hand. When we recognize that his coming is near. Third impact that it should have on us is that we should watch with prepared thinking. We should watch the signs of the times. We should be looking for the Lord's return. Would you put up Mark chapter 13, verse 32? These are the Lord's words. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You don't know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or even at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. For what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So we should watch with preparation. We should walk in holiness. We should work with faithfulness. And we should watch with preparation. We are a generation that is so privileged Because I absolutely believe, and I know Charles Peterson believes along with me, that we very well could be the generation that sees these events occur. I don't know when, but I believe we could be the generation that sees these events occur, that sees Jesus calling for us in the clouds, establishing his throne upon the earth. Now, if it doesn't occur in my generation, has My looking forward to his second coming had any negative impact on me? No. I'm still walking in holiness. I'm still working with faithfulness. I'm still watching with preparation. But I believe. I have a sense, and I know many other strong believing Christians do as well, that we could be the generation that sees the Lord's return. I want to conclude with a reading. Well, in fact, I think I've given this to you. Do you guys have Luke chapter 2? I think it's verse 21. at At the first coming of Jesus, when his parents went into 
Luke chapter 2, right there. Yeah, beginning in uh, verse 22, Landon. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. First coming. All of this bustle going on there at the temple. People coming and going, doing all of their regular business. But there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Keep going. When the time... Okay. Let's go back to verse 25. So Joseph and Mary are in the temple. They are taking Jesus in to make offering for him. Luke 25, we just read. Let's go to Luke 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit. Do you notice the Spirit's role in this? Each of these verses has talked about the Spirit upon him, speaking to him, moving him. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Verse 29. Okay. There we go. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon had waited. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him. He perceived that he would set his eyes upon the Lord's Messiah which in very fact he did. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to any of you about the days in which we live? I hope so. There are a lot of reasons to look up and to rejoice because our redemption is drawing near. Not to fear, not to, to shrivel up in anticipation of, of all of the things that will come upon the earth, but to recognize that our Lord and our Savior is coming back. And just as Simeon was watching for him, so too we are watching. This Christmas, look back, yes, indeed, to the birth of the Messiah. Enjoy the nativity. But understand that there's a greater expectation that each one of us this year ought to embrace the Christmas celebration with. Maranatha. Maranatha. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are the only one who knows. Jesus said, the angels in heaven don't know, not even the Son, but you know the time in which you are holding your Son, as it says there in Acts chapter 3, receiving him 
until times of refreshing come upon us. And so, Lord, we pray for a growing awareness of the fact that you are coming again, that you spent much of your time teaching about your second coming to this planet and the establishment of your eternal reign, the redemption of our bodies, the redemption of creation. All of this we look forward to, a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. I pray that each and every soul here this morning, each and every person hearing my voice on the radio would take a hold of that hope. Because that's what you have called it, Lord. You called it the blessed hope of the saints, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice in that hope here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.